0: Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelly Appleby-Ostroff, Legal Talent Development Consultant, Writing Coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. In today's episode, three lawyers at the end of their first year or two of practice share their different experiences working in private practice, in-house, and for the government. They also offer some great advice for new calls. Ruben Rostin is an associate at McMillan LLP. Madeline Tiber is an in-house counsel for LawPro, and Harmahak Somol is an assistant crown attorney. Well, welcome everyone to the Excel Legal Podcast. Thank you. Thank you Happy so to be much. Here. Thank you so much for being here. I thought we would start off, because we have three of you, all from different sort of areas of uh, practice and types of practice, I thought we'd start off by you giving us a little background about yourself. So giving us a sense of when you were called, uh, where you work, the, type of, the work, type of work you do, and why you chose the particular path that, uh, that you're following. So whoever wants to jump in, please jump in.
1: Okay, I'll go. Uh, My name is Madeline Tiber, and I work at LawPro currently, uh, which if you don't know it, it's the company that ensures all of Ontario's lawyers. Uh, My title is Compliance Counsel, and I've been here for about two years. I was called in uh, 2018. Uh, My work involves a lot of regulatory uh, compliance work, a good amount of policy review and drafting, uh, some contact drafting and negotiation, and a lot of privacy-related stuff as well. Um, I articled at LawPro as well, and I really enjoyed how uh, the legal work and the business advice elements uh, overlapped. Uh, I enjoyed thinking of business considerations when giving a legal opinion and finding ways to uh, implement organizational goals.
0: Fantastic. And I love that you articled there and you're still there. Oh, yeah. Two years <laughs> in. <laughs> Two years in. Two years in. Yeah. Thanks, Madeline. Yeah. So who wants to go next?
2: I'll go next. Uh, Hi, my name is Harmahak Somal. I was called to the bar last year in June. I work as an assistant Crown Attorney at the Ottawa Crown Attorney's Office. Uh, I practice exclusively criminal law, uh, as goes with the title. I do a lot of in-court work, uh, running my own trials, uh, bail court, plea court, as is expected, and also some uh, writing on the the side with charter applications, and some motions. I chose this path. It's a bit, my experience has been a bit unique because I started out by articling at Crown Law Office Civil. Then I went to the family responsibility as counsel post my call. And uh, recently I've moved to the Crown's office as an assistant Crown attorney. But all throughout that, my, my inclination has been to practice public law. I've always been very fascinated by it. And just by the nature of the kind of person I am, I like to explore different areas of law and uh, try different things. So I think my career trajectory has allowed me to do precisely that.
0: Fantastic. And that sounds very unusual to have had so many opportunities early on in your career to
2: diversify so much. I am very grateful for the opportunities that I've had so far.
0: Yeah. And did you say you were called in 2019? 2019. 2019. Okay, great. Thanks, Harmahak. And last but not least.
3: Yes, um, my name is Ruben. I went to school with HarmerHack, and um, I was also called in 2019. And I articled uh, with McMillan, and now I'm an associate at McMillan in the litigation group. Um, so far my practice is broad-based commercial litigation and arbitration. I've helped on files involving contract disputes, product liability, and fraud. And I guess I, I chose litigation because I like the rules. <laughs> uh, sounds very nerdy. Uh, <laughs> I like written advocacy. I like the people. I, I like the people in the group and I still do. And uh, I like the idea of defending uh, of defending clients' rights and interests. So it was the right fit. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And you said you articled at Macmillan as well? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it's great to get a sense of sort of the different types of work that you do. And I'm just wondering to explore that a, a little bit more. Maybe you could describe what a typical day looks like for you. If there's such a thing. <laughs> yeah. So Madeline, we'll start with you again.
1: Sure. Um, that question is so difficult. I think, I mean, probably every lawyer <laughs> says that it's a difficult <laughs> question to answer, but particularly as an in-house counsel. um, You might have some nice long-term projects that you're working on or you expect to be working on all day and then um, something comes to you from a different department and you have to shift your focus entirely. Um, I really don't have a typical day. Um, I have maybe more meetings, I think, than um, other practicing lawyers because of the, uh, I guess, amount of internal stakeholders that I'm working with in addition to external Um, But it really can be uh, anything. I do uh, a lot of work for the OBA as well. I'm on two sections there. So oftentimes I'm at the OBA or preparing for a meeting or preparing to share a program or something like that. But there's no real typical for me. Okay. Okay. Terrific. And you like it that way? I do. It keeps things exciting and interesting and challenging too.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Yeah. How about you, Harmach?
2: Any typical day? I would echo exactly what Madeline said. I don't think I have a typical day either. Uh, my day could range from a full day in court to a full day on case management or any variation in between. So I could have part of the day in court, uh, either now we're not running trials because of COVID, but it could be part of a day in court because of uh, plea court, bail court, or remand court, or part of the day spent doing case management, having judicial pretrials or pre pretrials at various times during the day, or could be an either version of it.
0: Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and Ruben? I think I have a
3: typical day. Um, <laughs> I usually come in around 8.30. I usually leave around 7 or 8.30, something like that. So that, that would be a pretty long day. And um, my, my clients are sort of, in a way, my clients are the supervising lawyers that uh, give me work, so, that I'm reporting to. Um just the way my, my career has gone so far, I've I've been lucky to be on uh, two files that have gone one one went to a superior court for a six-week trial and one went and one went to arbitration for a two plus week arbitration. So my articling year and my first year of practice have been consumed by those files. Mm-hmm. So I've seen the, the full sort of gear up, um, you know, preparing for motions and preparing affidavits, uh, pleadings, like the, the, I've, I've gotten to go through those, those uh, formal processes. So that's the type of work I do on a daily basis. And like I said, I usually report to the, the supervising lawyer.
0: Okay. Yeah. Your most important client. Uh, from what I've heard. (laughs) Yeah. Well, since you've all mentioned um, certain uh, writing tasks, and that's just a bit of a passion of mine, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about uh, writing. How much writing do you do and what types of writing do you do? And is this kind of was this expected or um, are there some surprises in terms of writing tasks? Again, maybe we'll just continue our same order because that's easier. So we'll start with Madeline.
1: Sure. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me was the, the kind of writing that um, in-house counsel do. I expected it to be a lot of um, legal opinions um, and maybe reports or that sort of thing. And there's a good amount of that, but there's also a lot of writing uh, for non-lawyers, um, writing for other people in the company or for external audiences. Um, so I really, I mean, I've, I have, uh, you know, I have a degree in history and that kind of thing. So a lot of my background is writing and I'm familiar with writing for non-lawyers, but it's a different kind of challenge to distill um, legal uh, jargon to be readable for other people. Um So I do a lot of that. Um, A lot of it is policy drafting and review for me and contract drafting and review. It's the majority of my writing.
0: Okay. And how much time would you say that you spend writing? Oh, goodness.
1: I don't know that I could even quantify it. I'm writing to a certain extent every day. um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of it isn't, uh, a lot of it's preparation kind of writing that doesn't go anywhere or it's for my own or other internal audiences.
0: Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Harmahak.
2: So as an assistant crown attorney, I don't do a lot of writing. Most of my work is oral advocacy, uh, but there is some writing for charter applications or if there is a specific motion. Um, But in my previous role as counsel at the family responsibility office, I did a substantial amount of writing in, in form of legal opinion or a factum that I wrote uh, on behalf of FRO. Uh, and before that, at Crown Law Office, Civil, that had substantial writing in form of pleadings, uh, factum, research memos, and uh, yes, along those lines.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, did the the um, fewer writing tasks in the uh, Crown's office was that a like an attractive feature of the job? Is that something you? we're trying to get away
2: from no that was not a consideration <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> in an ideal world it would, be, it would be fun to write a little bit more but it's the nature of the job right right yeah. I
0: mean back in the day when I was practicing we used to, always used to joke about all uh, the criminal lawyers and the reason why they chose to uh, <laughs> practice criminal law is because they really couldn't stand writing so uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah how about you Ruben um, amount and type of writing that you do
3: Lots of writing, Um, lots of writing. uh, Also, I mean, I I guess to different readers. You know, sometimes you're writing to the court, sometimes you're writing to clients, probably mostly to supervising lawyers. Um, And uh, something that surprised me, I guess, is I I think in school I was taught to always think about the audience and the 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 reader, and I do think that is important. And I try to. tailor my writing accordingly. But in my first year of practice, I've noticed that I'm always trying to keep my writing as clear and to the point as possible. So there isn't really as much difference as I thought, um, which is nice.
0: What do you mean by difference? Difference uh, in terms of audiences? Like if
3: I'm writing, if I'm writing a, uh, certainly if I'm writing to the client or a supervising lawyer, I, I want to keep it very simple. I I, I try to explain it in, in as simple terms as possible. But when I'm writing an affidavit, I want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I want to leave out the jargon. I don't think it's necessary. And I, I try to leave it out of, the, um, of pleadings to the extent that I can. Uh, I think like maybe at some point there was value in, in including uh some of the language but i think um well i don't want to speak to speak for decision makers but i i think that they appreciate a uh, concise simple language
0: yeah yeah i think 100 percent. i don't think i've heard of i think that's, i've read this somewhere that uh, no judge has ever uh complained that something was too brief Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's very good to know that some of the things that you learned in law school <laughs> actually bore out <laughs> and were helpful in, uh, in practice. But actually on that point, what are some of the things that, um, you know, surprised you in practice? Maybe you wish you ha- wished you had learned earlier on, maybe in law school or earlier in your career. Um, yeah.
1: Madeline, maybe we'll start with you. Sure. Um, I actually didn't get that advice in law school. I got it in other schooling to be, to keep my writing concise and clear. Um, and it was something I kind of had to relearn um, after coming out of law school. Cause I was used to just dumping everything for exams and that's not, I don't think good writing or the way that I want to be writing. Um, so it was a little bit of retraining myself, but um, I guess in terms of what I wish I learned in law school beyond the writing piece, um, I guess a little bit about the actual practice of law or how businesses work. Maybe there's, um, I wasn't even aware that you could be an in-house counsel, I think for my first year in a bit. Um, And it would have been great to learn about, um, I guess how the practice differs and um, that there are different focuses in a business than in a law firm.
0: And could you maybe give us a sense of what some of those differences are?
1: Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think there's, uh, okay, something we were all told in law school is uh, about culture and fit and that law firms want, are looking for a specific kind of culture. or They want you to fit in with their team. Um, And it became really generic, but um, for companies, there are things like uh, risk tolerance or litigation strategy, for example, that are important to, Uh, how they respond to different issues and to different stakeholders that um, I wasn't aware of when I started at all.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how you can learn that without sort of being in the, being in the thick of it.
1: Uh, I was actually at a a CPD where um, a bank, someone from a bank was talking about how their litigation strategy is very different. And um, from other banks. And a, a firm that they had hired had no awareness of that whatsoever and didn't try to learn. So they were talking about that as a negative because this firm was advocating um, litigation and they were saying, no, 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 this is very um, opposed to our corporate culture. So that doesn't interest us at all. And it ended up um, not working out so well for the firm that they had hired.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Great insight. Yeah. Thank you. That's yes. so helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Harmahak. Uh
2: Similarly, I would say I wish I had known the importance of networking when I was in law school uh, and had gone out and talked to people about their practices, especially in their early years. There's so much that I didn't know about the practice of law while I was in law school. Obviously we learn about uh, the Supreme Court of Canada cases, but the vast majority of us do not end up litigating based on those SCC cases, right? So there, there's a huge divide between what we learn in law school and what happens in real practice. Uh, I learned a lot in my articling year because I had the opportunity of being around so many people and learning from their experiences. But I just wish I had known earlier in law school and, and I had made that effort of reaching out to different people from different practices and just talking to them. So what's your practice like? What do you do? What does it really mean to be a lawyer? So that would be my two cents.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think having that information would have changed your career path?
2: I, I think I generally am just so inclined to explore different areas of law. So it wouldn't have changed a great deal, but it would have definitely made it a lot easier or I would have, the path would have been smoother. Not that it's not smooth. I've been very fortunate to be mentored by great mentors along my path, but just being more aware and more informed about different areas and uh, what really happens at the job would have been helpful for sure.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can just hear listeners going, "Yes. Yes. That would be so helpful." <laughs> so maybe they can reach out to you. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, Reuben. Uh,
3: one unexpected challenge, I guess, is uh, bringing in work. Like at this stage, of course, I'm not expected to uh, bring in business, but occasionally, uh, friends or contacts. Um, ask for help with commercial disputes, and I want to help, uh, but when I go through the firm, I have to think about potential conflicts of interest, uh, my rate, my budget, etc. So uh, there's more to it than I thought. Hmm. Uh, but I'm not deterred, and I, I do want to. I do want to help, and I'm sure it'll become easier as time goes on.
0: Mm-hmm. And does the firm do anything to? help you figure out how to do that or have they set their expectations out clearly, or you're kind of on your own with that?
3: No, they do. I mean, they, 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 um, I think the firm's approach is like they they want me to get as much experience as possible. And they, they encourage me to develop, um, relationships and stuff like that. So they, they, they want to help and certainly they give me guidance, but, at some point, um, th- there are just, th- there are more barriers than I thought there would be. Um, w- working at a, um, like, even if I offer my, my biggest discount, sometimes it's too much for, uh, um, you, you know, an individual hmm. um, as opposed to a corporation. So that's sometimes someone that I'll refer I'll, I'll refer out to a, a colleague, and um, so they, they do help. But um, I think it's just the, the nature of working at a at a big firm. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How many um, other associates are there at your level?
3: At my level, well, there's one other associate who's my colleague. There's okay. probably. Three or four other junior associates, and there's like ten of us in the litigation group altogether.
0: Ten in total in the litigation group, uh, all levels of associates. Uh,
3: no, just in the yeah, just all levels of associates in all levels of associates in the litigation group. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I'm just thinking back to back in way back in the day when I was where you guys are, and I mean really. <laughs> Often we say, oh, it was so much harder back in the day, but listening to you, um, I think it's a little harder for you. I mean, basically, we just focused on keeping our heads down, doing great work, and everything else just kind of fell into place or it didn't, right? Um, So I get the sense that that's really not enough these days. So how can lawyers make an impact early in their careers?
1: Mm. That's a really good question. I it's, um, I think it's something that a lot of us struggle with, because a lot of people have different ideals going into law school, than coming out of it, let's say, and that's something maybe you confront in your first few years, but um, I think Harmahack touched on it, actually, that um, the connection piece, um, the more you talk to people uh, within your network and outside of your network and find mentors um, who are further on in their career and then in turn mentor people who are coming up in their careers. I think it makes it a lot more rewarding um, as a lawyer, but also as a human, just to be interacting with people and understanding that you're you're not alone. It can feel really isolating in the first few years of practice, but I found that the legal community is so willing to um, help and connect and refer and talk about whatever's going on. And that's been um, one of my recent ways that I've started to give back is to start to Um, give that out to people in the legal community instead of just being on the receiving end.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. You mentioned um, work you've been doing with the OBA. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love working with the OBA. There's, um, it's such a good group of people and anyone who volunteers has some kind of passion or interest and um, everyone's coming from different areas. So it's really a good, um, a great collaboration tool, um, a great source for professional development, but, um, I've, I've met more people through the OBA, uh, and I wouldn't have been able to um, interact with that many people otherwise. So it's been a really fantastic opportunity for me, and I'm going to continue being
0: mm-hmm. involved. Yeah, that wonderful, because I think a lot of uh, lawyers earlier in their career are, you know, feel that FaceTime in the office is the most important. Uh, and everything gets focused on that. But as you're saying, there's so much um, that you can offer, but also it it helps you too uh, and increases your satisfaction in your career. So uh, yeah, excellent, great, great ideas. Yeah, and good for you. Thank you. Yeah, Harmahak, ways um, to make an impact. Um,
2: yes, I would say, obviously it's it has to be good quality work. That's number one. And then being engaged with your colleagues at work, but also at, outside of work, as Madeline said. Uh, Being engaged with your colleagues in the local bar or people who are more senior to you, uh, having them as mentors, and also people who are coming into the field of law and connecting them with more senior people or with colleagues at the same level, uh, and just being more engaged. And as I'm looking for a more... um, like a 360 leader is what I would say. There is a book out there, I forget the name of the author, but it's just when when you're in the middle of your career, it's one of the benefits that you have is you can connect people from who are uh, on your left and the right and make a holistic team. So I think it's important to stay engaged and uh, be supportive of each other. The legal community, as Madeline said, is very, very supportive. and I've certainly been a beneficiary of that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it's wonderful because now you're at the stage where you can also uh, help those who are coming up through the ranks just as you were doing today in uh, in being part of this discussion. So excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so refreshing. You guys are wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Ruben?
3: I think um, well, I, I definitely agree with uh, Madeline and Armand uh, I think another, I think one way to add value at a Junior stage is attention to detail and and point first writing. Yeah. Uh, because you know sometimes the um, the senior people on files aren't able to commit as much time and um, effort to like minutia as the juniors are. Uh, if they can rely on the juniors to. Um, um, clean up writing and uh, articulate things in a, in a clear way for the client or for the court, uh, then that's a great way to uh, add value. Um, you know, you're it, probably because when you're a junior, you're not necessarily an expert, you know, you're you're, you're not the top of the field, you're, you're not an expert in that area of law, but you could be an expert in writing, you can be an expert in producing a, a really high quality document, really high quality. A letter, or whatever you're doing, and you just have to sort of commit yourself to that. And yeah, I think that, that's how that's how I see it at least.
0: Yeah, that I, I yeah couldn't have said it better. It's you know my passion is writing, and and I think that that is something that's so valuable wherever you are, whether you know you're in house, um, you're with the government, uh, or you're in a firm having um, you know the ability to go over a document uh, and get it in a much more refined form so those above you don't have to spend as much time on it. But I just wanted to pick up on something you said, uh, Ruben, about point-first writing. What do you mean by point-first writing?
3: I mean leading with the conclusion. Okay. So, um, you know, rather than burying the lead and, and having it right at the end, um, I want my reader to... know the conclusion up front, and then use the analysis below uh, to understand it to justify the conclusion. But um, I want to make it as as reader friendly as possible. So if they're in a rush, they may only care about the conclusion. And if they have doubts, or they want clarification, they can always, you know, scroll down or, or look down the page. And I try to, even in the analysis, I try to make it point first in the sense that it's. Um, I'm using my hands as a as a visual, but obviously I won't go through in the in the podcast. But, but uh, I I try to use uh, descriptive headers along the way, so that they can really uh, follow the analysis also in a point first way. I just want them to be able to do it as as a fit. I want them to, to be able to process the information or digest it as as efficiently as possible.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Super. Super helpful. Uh. So you've already provided so much uh, advice for uh, for law students coming up and and new calls, but I'm wondering if there's anything in particular that you might um, like to pass on to new calls. Because by the time this is um, this is posted, we're going to have the new cohort out there, uh, and so I thought it would be kind of helpful just to give them some do's and don'ts or just words of wisdom from the the now the now experienced. Uh, not so new calls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know how wise this is, but we'll see. Um, I was thinking about my experience and it, I, I realized um, in the end, both of these things, and I've touched on one of them, which is um, if you're suffering, don't do it alone. There are so many people out there who are uh, willing to talk, willing to lend a hand or refer you forward. There's um, services like the member assistance program um, for lawyers, law students, and their families. If you're really, really struggling, um, but it doesn't—it doesn't have to be um, an exercise in isolation. There, are, you you can talk to people, and you should talk to people, and it makes it a lot easier. Um, and the second piece that I would have to say is um, trust your gut. Mm -hmm. uh, it, which is hard. And if I, I wish I could go back and tell myself that, although I don't know that I would have a hundred percent listened to it. I remember the first articling assignment that I handed in, my articling principal told me that it was, I was hedging in like every sentence and I could do a little bit of that, but not so much. And I just have to um, make a conclusion and stick with it. And if you make a mistake, it's okay. And that's, you know, part of being a young lawyer and having people above you in your company or your firm or wherever you are. Um, trust your gut.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love the piece where you say, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. You're still learning.
1: It totally is. And it's so, so scary for, for young lawyers, but uh, we all do it. We've all done it. We're all going to continue to do it. And once you recognize that, it becomes a lot easier to trust yourself and then to learn, actually, mm-hmm. and have growth in that way.
0: Absolutely. That's how you grow. And sure. it's not just limited to junior lawyers. You talk to anybody. <laughs> Honestly, you know, a seasoned (laughs) lawyer and they'll tell you stories that have happened fairly recently uh, where they made a mistake or, you know, however we like to describe it. So we use a euphemism, but we all, yeah, we all, uh, we all fail from time to time. And as long as it's not threatening, it's not life-threatening to either you or somebody else or to your career, that that's all part of growth. So, yeah, I love that you said that. Thank you, Madeline.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Harmahak. That's a great point, Madeline. I would like to make three points. Uh, First, appreciate your newness. I think Mm -hmm. it's very important to recognize for yourself that, yes, you're new to this field. uh, And yes, there would be things that you don't know. And yet there would be things that you don't know that you don't know. So there would be the unknown unknowns. And I, I think it's very helpful if you build a supportive group around you, Uh, So you can go and ask them questions, have informal and formal mentors at work and have different sets of mentors. So maybe there there is a question that you may think it may not be appropriate for a very senior counsel. So have someone who is a first or second year call and go ask them that question Uh, or have that one person at your work who would be there to answer any of your quote unquote dumb questions. They may not even be dumb, as you would realize at the end of the day, but just have someone there to support you. Um, along the same line, just have a supportive group in general who would not only support you at work but also aim to have champions who would lead you from one place to the other and actually vouch for you. So, so you, it, it's almost much. It's it's a very much a smoother path if someone vouches for you as this is a person. Uh, it's it's a difference between having a mentor and a champion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a mentor would mentor you, but a champion would could almost show you the path and lead your path. Um, And uh, finally, I would just echo what I said before. Uh, Go out and network. Talk to as many people as you can. The legal community is very supportive. Uh, Talk to people, learn from their experiences, and, uh, and I wish everyone the best of luck. Oh, that's wonderful. I just wanted to
0: pick up on the idea of a champion, because, I mean, we hear an awful lot about mentors, um, but a champion is something a little bit different. And I wonder how someone might go about finding
2: a champion. How would you go about finding champion? That's a great question. Um I think it's building those connections at work. That's how I have found my champions or not even at work. Even when you're in law school, you could reach out to people and find the people who would be willing to uh, support you through your path and uh, help you on the way. Mm -hmm. I don't have a great answer for this in terms of how you would find one. I think you would (laughs) find one eventually or uh, things would happen for you. And I, that, that's what happened to me. I don't have a perfect answer in terms of how you would go about finding one.
0: Well, there's no perfect answer. We know that now, right? <laughs> but, but also, I think it, all, it, tie, it seems to tie into the idea of networking, which really is all about, as you describe it, building relationships. And that, that just kind of naturally evolves from uh, those relationships that you cultivate over time. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Thank you. Yeah. Ruben.
3: Say yes to new opportunities and be fearless. Some opportunities, um, you know, suck. And, you know, you're asked to do something and it's boring or whatever. But some opportunities really lead to um, opportunities to develop new skills. Um, And I think the only way to, uh, you know, get to that point is, is to say yes to, you know, all the new opportunities that come your way. And I say be be fearless because uh, often as a junior, these are things that I haven't done before. Uh, so there's always a little bit of um, uh, hesitation, but I've learned that it it often pays off to say yes and then and then figure it out along the way, seek guidance, um, and 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 more often than not, it really leads to something positive. So say yes.
0: Excellent, excellent. Would you have an example to share with us of when you have sort of seized upon something, uh, or maybe just gone all in?
3: Sure. Well, well, as an articling student, I mentioned that I, I was able to help on a on a six week trial, and I think I only got that opportunity because I was asked to do some uh, pretty uh, minor work at the beginning, and. I really gave it my all, and I, I was committed to the file, and I was asked to do more and more, and and each time I was asked to ask to do something new, um, I was always like, oh boy, like this is a new thing, um, I, I'm pretty nervous, but in the end, I, I know it's going to happen, um, I know that I can, I can go to my supervising lawyers for, uh, instruction, support, et cetera, et cetera. um. So I think that's a, Like, that's the example that comes to mind. I, mm-hmm. I got to, um, in that trial, I got to argue a motion uh, as an articling student before a Superior Court judge. Um, I got to cross-examine a witness, so with, with, with the court's uh, consent. So I feel like I wouldn't have gotten those opportunities had I said no at the beginning when, uh, you know the work was like relatively minor or when the task seemed uh, too big for me mm-hmm. uh, but in the end like by saying yes it just led me to these great opportunities and now I feel like I have those like I added tools to my tool belt
0: fantastic and so inspiring Excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I just love hearing from all of you. And we could talk for much longer. But um, I recognize everybody is still busy, even though uh, we're sort of operating in a, in a different world professionally. Uh, and I would just like to close with a couple of uh, a couple of questions. Um, what's top on the top of your to do list? and maybe what file is waiting on your desk that what were you working on before uh we connected and what are you going back to after um we finish up
1: okay um i'm conducting uh we do an annual review of our business continuity plan uh which is for crisis management if you're not familiar with the term Um, and as you can imagine this year there's a lot more feedback than there has been Mm -hmm. in prior years because we've had a really good chance to actually test it out Um, so that's something I've been very excited to work on it's a great opportunity to connect with uh, different internal departments and learn more about their operations and that sort of thing. And then after that, I'm uh, going back to some just regular old insurance legislation review, which is not as exciting. So that's why I've prioritized them the way I have.
0: Yeah, some would do the insurance uh, legislation review first and do the other as a reward. But, you know, we that's, I guess, (laughs) not how I
1: operate.
0: (laughs) Necessary evil, though. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Madeline. Harmahak.
2: So, I was working on a large-scale fraud file just before our call. And uh, after the call, I'm going to go prepare for some of the pre-trials that I have scheduled for tomorrow and answer some emails that would have popped up in the interim about what to do on some files. So that's what I would be doing. Okay. Wow. Excellent. Oh, you guys have such exciting lives.
0: Yes, <laughs> Uh Well,
3: I'm, I'm going to... I've been helping with an arbitration, which is wrapping up. And then I plan on taking a vacation. Mm. I'm looking forward to that.
0: <laughs> yes. And you are, uh, just to tell listeners, you're the only one uh, who, who is actually sitting in a physical office outside of their home. So, uh, yeah. How long have you been back in your office?
3: We had, well, the hearing started uh, last week and we had one week of prep before that. So it's been about uh, two and a half weeks, uh, and obviously we're we're here under very uh, um, under you know as long as we follow the guidelines and we're we're uh, staying safe in that way. And the firm has really accommodated us. Um, otherwise, I, I find it uh, fairly easy to work from home. So. I'm. I. I feel very lucky in that way. Not. I know not everyone has it that easy. So, but. But. But for me, it's been uh, relatively easy.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about for you, Harmahak? Um, because you had. I presume you have hearings and all sorts of things still going on. How has that been? Working from home, doing that.
2: It's been great, um, but I think because our my work involves cross examination and. Uh, examination in general, I think I prefer being in court uh, rather than doing it over video or uh, telephone conferences, because sometimes we have people just on the phone line. So it's hard to sort of imagine that they capture the question right or uh, how are they reacting to it. So I miss that physical body language aspect of being in a court and running the hearings that way.
3: Mm-hmm. But other than
2: that, I mean, logistically speaking, I don't, I don't see a problem with uh, running or working from home otherwise. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and how about for you, Madeline?
1: Uh, for the most part, I've really enjoyed being at home. Um, I'm able to have a little more flexibility in what I do in the mornings and after work, which is nice. My lunches have gotten more elaborate, but <laughs> um, I miss my my team, for sure. It's uh, We try to have calls um, every so often, but it's not the same, and it's um, hard to get a sense of what other people are doing unless you make a point to check in with them directly. Um, and I, I, really miss that opportunity to interact with my coworkers, but.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are there any last, um, comments that you'd like to make anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share?
1: Nothing that we haven't touched on, but, um, I'll reiterate again, cause it's, I think something that younger lawyers need to keep hearing over and over is trust yourself and look out for yourself.
0: Mm, excellent. Yes. Madeline, well said. Thank you. Ruben Harmahak.
3: No, thanks for, thanks for having me on.
0: Well, thanks for being on. Yeah, Harmahak, were you wanting to add
2: something? Um, no, I think uh, Madeline put it very well. It's important to pace yourself and not forget that you have to have a good balance between your work and social life as well, even though it's hard, especially in the early years. But just remember to uh, pace yourself out. And thank you for having me here.
0: Oh, well, thank you to all of you. It was a wonderful discussion. I felt like you were right here with me. Um, yeah, so I, I know that uh, listeners will get lots of valuable information from you, and I just really appreciate your honesty and sharing your experiences and uh, helping to pay it forward. So, uh, so thanks so much. And, yeah, I want to follow your career, so please uh, keep in touch. We will. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for a great topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.